The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome to the show. Good morning, Eric Hallaby. The Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I'll tell you what's exciting to me when it comes to the overall, uh, if you will, health of your financial life is today we have options, right? We have choices. We didn't have that before. A lot of folks, when they were younger, they created a, a financial life, if you will, or one was created for them because you did what your parents did. Right. How many times did you have your dad was a, a welder, so you became a welder. Your dad's a plumber, you became a plumber. Right? That was the way it was. He was a farmer, you're a farmer. Rarely, well, you know, I guess in recent history, 100 years or so, 150 years maybe, uh, things started changing. And the way they changed, it was uh, quickly, uh, it, it was done quickly, but it was done in a way that started funneling people away from the trades. You know this. If you watch any kind of news, you see Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs. And he started with a a career, if you will, in Dirty Jobs simply to probably (laughs) make some money. Uh, Right. If you listen to his stories, it's quite fascinating. It's a fun, fun story, a fun life. Uh, So he has a different way of doing things. But his career, his life has turned, whether on purpose or on accident, down the vocational career jobs, reinforcement And so I want to touch on that a little bit, but in a way in which the parents talk to the kids about money. So I want to go over some myths that you thought were true, that you were told by your parents, and some things that they told you that were were at least probably true for them, and if not them, their parents or grandparents. You see, a lot of times when parents started going back to work, it was the grandmother and grandfather that raised you because they had time. Right, Because they had less debt, a little bit of income, Social Security. They had money that they had saved. The house was paid off, so that's part of the debt story. And in exchange, they watched the kids. Now, they helped out mom a little bit, who had four, five, six children. They helped out dad maybe a little bit by helping him work around the house. But dad's job was to go out and create a career. I understand today it's different. There are sometimes women that are making a lot more money. Right now, we're at around 65%. of the last three years, that's when I started tracking to now, where husbands and wives work, 65% of the time she earns more money than he does. Wow. Have you thought about that? 65% of the time. Now, it doesn't mean that he's doing a different job. It, it, It could mean, I mean, there's certainly probably lots of pieces and parts to it, but it could mean that affirmative action or the Me Too movement, whatever they call it, right? It, it goes through different iterations over time. It could mean that that period of 
of we need to, to hire a lady to check a box, especially a minority lady. Right. When I was a police officer, I'm going to take a step back. And I was going for a detective trainee job. Uh, I finished first on the list. And I knew this because a friend of mine worked in detectives and he and he saw the list. And he came up to me and he said, hey, if you finished first on the list, you, you you did great. I thought, wonderful. Well, later they hired a female, a female, female black. And she was fourth on the list, third or fourth on the list. And I said, what happened? Why did, why did she get the job? He goes, Eric, we get to count her twice. I said, huh? He said, we get to count her in the female category and in the black category. Back then they said African-American category. So they got to count her twice. Now, it doesn't mean she wasn't capable. It's just that two or three other people came out better on the list. It was a written test. It was an oral interview. So there was a series of, of subjective and objective means to decide where we fit on the list. I, I, I'll give you that. But the knowledge, the first time that I learned it, right, the, the experience of going, oh, by the way, we get to count her twice. I thought, you're kidding me. What does that mean? Well, today, maybe ladies that are, that, that, that are earning more. I'm not saying always. Of course not. So don't tell me, you know, don't yell at me. I'm a better accountant than any man. I, I'm sure you are certainly better than me. What I'm saying is, I think you got to stop playing these games that our parents told us that women make 70% of men's salary. Not true. Lie. Big fat lie. Not true. Dishonest. Oh, but Eric, if you don't understand, I go, let's be clear on this for just a second. All right. You're telling me that companies, corporations, they're all greedy. Right. Everybody's a greedy son of a gun. And these corporations, all they want is a bunch of money. And so all this money that these corporations want, they're willing to say, even though we can pay women less money, we can keep more profit, greedy corporation. We can keep all the extra 30% more money. Do you realize labor is the largest expense in a corporation? So if a company, if a corporation can get away with paying 30% less in labor, you're telling me that they hate women so much that they're so discriminatory against women that they're willing to take a 30% pay cut for a substantial amount of the wages, the income, the corporate income. They're willing to do that for their antiquated, outdated, socially unacceptable, never verbalized idea. Or maybe it's not a true number. Okay, so I'm just causing you to think about it. I'm just one person. Yes, there is some, uh, in, in what do they call it, inherent bias, bias, right? Because I'm in the financial world. So consequently, a lot of the poor ladies uh, and poor men, financially speaking, may not come in. Uh, I understand. You guys have shared with me all of these types of ideas. Even though we see folks that, you know, the minimum amount to open an account with me is $20,000. All right, I, I need you to know that. You don't have to have. Sometimes our letters and our emails uh, talk about hundreds of thousands or millions. If you'd like to open an account with us, it's $20,000. All right. That's not me that sets it. It's the firms that we work with, the companies that we work with, because we're a broker, right? Our job is to go out and find a company that fits your needs. That's the, that's the suitability method to make sure it's suitable for you. There's no games that we play there. So keep this in mind. There are things that your parents told you 
And those things that your parents told you probably were true to them and maybe even true to their parents, probably true to their grandparents, but not true today. All right. Not true today. So I'm going to go over some myths, some money myths that I think we we can now debunk. And I'm going to start with a few stories. I like stories. That's the radio. That's what it's all about. One of those is this very simply. Remember when you were making eh, whatever figure high school, you had a job, maybe it was $5 an hour, $10, $20, whatever it was when you started in high school working and part time and you're working a little bit and you're mowing somebody's lawn like I did or delivering the daily news green sheet. Some of you remember that. I don't even know if that paper's still around. Probably that's why it's not around because I don't (laughs) know because it's not familiar to me. But if you can remember when if you if I only made. If I only made a thousand dollars a month, like I, I would be rich. Like, oh my God, a thousand dollars a month. This check is for $83. If I made a thousand, do you realize uh, my life would be amazing, right? So you go to work, you're now in high school, now in college, and you make a thousand dollars a month and you go, it's probably not a thousand that changes my life. It has to be $5,000 a month. That's a pretty big number. So when I make 5,000 a month, oh my gosh. That's got to be a big number. It's when life changes. And then you get to 5000 a month and you say, maybe it's 10000 a month. Maybe it's 100000 a year. But you see where I'm going. The numbers just keep growing. And this idea that one day, if, it's, if I only reach that, here's the problem. Here's why it's a myth. A six-figure uh, salary is going to buy you happiness, make your dreams come true, be the number that you need. 100000 a year is this magic number. Untrue. Here's why. It is almost never, I say almost never, almost never how much you make. It's how much you keep and how much you spend. It is truly the difference. If you can pay all of your bills, save money, and put $1,000 a month in your bank account, then it doesn't matter if you make $300,000 a year and you spend $305,000 a year. You're still broke. You're still going into debt. So for a lot of us out there, we, we rush to this number, might be 200000 a year, whatever it is today, but our parents told us if you make $100,000 a year, life is going to be great. You're going to have wonderful uh, financial security. Let's think about this for a second. State of California, a single person making 100000 a year, by the time you're done with federal, state taxes, payroll taxes... You're right in the neighborhood of, let's think about this for a second, probably right in the neighborhood of about 40%, four zero. That means you keep 60,000. So $5,000, maybe 25, 26, 2700 every two weeks comes into your bank account, but you have a hundred thousand dollar a year job, but you only put about 26, 2700 a month. Uh, I'm sorry. Every two weeks. Now you understand that it's never uh, how much you make because you need to be able to, to max out your 401k plan. It doesn't matter to me what you earn. You put in the maximum. But hey, if I make 30000 a year and the maximum is, is twenty, then you better get a second job because either you're going to be on this train, this little hamster wheel, and work forever because you're chasing this six-figure salary or you're not. 
right? Your, your family, the ability for you to go through and make a living, if you followed along the right path, could be the answer. All right, so the six-figure income, it's not the answer. It's the delta or the spread. All right, I was touching on when we first came, uh, came on to the show, what your parents did for a living is what you were supposed to do for a living. Now, it's really come full circle because what, what jobs can they send overseas? Accounting. What jobs can they send overseas? HR, customer service. Right, you understand they can send a lot of the white collar jobs overseas. And now with AI, oh my gosh, can they send it overseas or send it into a, some computer uh, basement? Right? So, but I can't send my air conditioner to China to get it fixed or my car to Vietnam. I can't do the dry cleaning of my nice clothes in the Philippines. Right? So, physical things Fixing my home, plumbing, electrical, those things are all right here. You have to be here. You're not going to send your car to Mexico to get it fixed, to have it come back. Now, many manufacturing jobs, right, where it's a one-way street, they fix them there, uh, they make them there, rather, wherever it is, and then send it here, whether it's clothing, computers, your automobiles, right? My truck was made in Mexico. It wasn't made in the United States. Thank you, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. It's called NAFTA. Right? They send all of these union jobs, these poor union men and women in the Ohio River Valley and in Michigan. They voted for these guys, and then they passed these rules to send their jobs, good jobs, by the way, with uh, with uh, benefits and, and all the, the accoutrements that come with having a solid career. And they sent it overseas. Sorry, did you say health insurance and pension? Nope. We're not hiring as many people. And they don't have to put them in the union. Did you know that? Yeah, Mexico doesn't have those kinds of unions. They just say, get out. Thanks for coming. So a lot of these things that your parents told you, which is work in my industry. Get a good job in my work for the government work for the government get a good job with the government now i'm here to say that's probably one that still holds the most truth because whenever any of the political parties are in office they just hire different people whether it's the defense whether it's the environmental stuff it's one side left or right right or left what it is is they they forget that you're the one that hired them that they're supposed to be as small as possible, not as big as possible. They look for things to do. Kind of like that employee, right, who just looks to be busy. When you walk into the room, if you're a business owner, you walk into the room, and all they're doing is moving stuff around, picking up paper, moving it over here, doing this over here, typing on the computer, but not really doing anything, right? Productive, no. Busy, yes. Whenever these political parties get into office, they are busy, they pass laws. You're like, whoa. I love it when they, t- they talk about, we need this Clean Water Act. You say, are you kidding me? Did we have dirty water under Obama? Because Mr. Mr. Obama, President Obama was president. And these are the laws that he passed. And, and Mr. Clinton, Bill Clinton, when he was president, these are the laws that he passed. Right? They'll blame President Trump for everything. But you realize when the Obama-Biden presidency... And vice presidency was in office. Whatever the air 
was the day after they left when they passed these rules, these laws. What were they dirty then? Now they're going to be clean. Woof. Savior Miss Harris comes in along with puppet Biden. Right? Together, those two. Now they're going to fix the clean air. And I promise you, in three, four, five terms, when another Democrat president is in office, they're going to say, now we're going to make it clean water. Now we're going to make it clean air. Right? So you see the government's job, which might be why getting a job with the government could still hold. It doesn't hold any, I don't say value, because there's a lot of good, valuable people, firefighters, uh, police officers. So that's not the, the, the word I'm looking for. Uh, I want you to make a difference, right? I don't want you just to exist. And you might say, I make a difference in my corner of the world. That's nice. And maybe you have to be there, right? We need post office and, and we need new roads and bridges. I just wish that somebody would get out of the office and start fixing the roads and bridges and not in the middle of rush hour. I don't know. P.S. There are some of you that listen that are Caltrans workers and, and state department of, of transportation people. Just so you know, I mean, this is just, I'm spitballing here. There are less people on the roads at four in the morning, two in the morning. So maybe, just maybe, that's the time to work. Oh, I, I spoke to somebody recently. I go, why don't you guys work at 10, 11 o'clock at night when there's, you know, 10% of the traffic? And they said, well, Arif, you realize, you know, we don't want to work those hours. Well, then you're fired. You're fired. That, that's the time to fix the roads. You don't fix them at rush hour. You don't send the sweeper train down the middle lane of the 110 freeway at 8.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. Why, why would, who says that's a good idea? Right? So a lot of us should, rightfully so, have some animosity towards the government. Not the individual worker, maybe the supervisor, right? Some of you are supervisors and you say, it's not my fault. And you just keep pointing up, up the chain. So if you're going to go there and make a difference and say, all right, from now on, we're not going to do, uh, you know, do send the sweeper train down the middle of the, the, the center divider and taking up the fast lane or the carpool lane. Right. Maybe just may. And you don't need a study. I'm going to say you're not going to need six months of a study to figure it out. What you do is you tell folks these are the new hours. You're working a job where these are the hours or you have them work Saturday and Sunday when there's less people on the road. Right. I mean, listen, I worked a job for two decades that worked Saturday and Sunday. Because then I could go to the movies on Tuesday. I could have go to the park on a Wednesday afternoon and nobody was there. I'd go hang out with my wife and go to a dinner. And, and it's OK sometimes to work weekends. Right. I still would worship on Sunday evenings. You do what you have to do to provide for your family. My point is maybe the government job is just okay enough still, but just get in there and make a difference. Don't just exist, run on a treadmill until your pension comes due. I want you to, to, to be different. All right. Here's another myth. Well, I'm going to invest, but when I'm debt free, I'm going to start saving for retirement, but after I pay off my student loan debt, that's a myth. It's a myth from you, Dave Ramsey, your parents. It's a lie. Here's why. You haven't created the habits yet. You cannot switch on a dime. Nobody can. doesn't matter if you're a, a smoker or a drinker or if you overeat, right? If you're heavy and you want to lose weight, uh, if you're uh, sedentary, right? You're not moving. Doesn't Whatever you do, it's about habits. 
So as you are getting debt free, I'm okay if it takes you a little longer because the goal is to build those habits while you are building your savings, while you are creating habits of wealth building. So it is not about, oh, a math problem. According to page 47 of the math book, I would save more money. It doesn't matter because it's all just really academic. I want you to get out of debt. You absolutely bad debt, especially right. I'm okay. If you owe money on a $10 million building, right? Oh, Eric, my payment is 180,000 a month. Whoa. That's a lot of money. Yeah. It's horrible. What's your rents? Oh, 280,000. Ah, see that $10 million in debt brings in a hundred thousand dollars a month. You see, if you have to work for the debt, it's bad debt. Right. One of the myths that I hear is buy your house, buy a house. That's your, That's an asset. Buy your home to live in. That's an asset. Wrong, wrong and big wrong. It's not an asset. Your home is a liability. Now, it is an asset to the bank, but it's a liability for you. Oh, but Eric, if it's gone up in value, doesn't always go up in value. Doesn't always. And who cares if it does? Because you still have to pay for all of the day to day expenses. Property tax. Have you seen it lately? For a new home. Right? Well, oh, the new roof. That's 40 grand, 30 grand. Yep, sorry. Air conditioner, 15, 20,000. Do you see my point? Is you're the one that has to pay for it. What do I want you to buy? I want you to rent and then buy an investment property. Maybe a duplex. Maybe whatever, fourplex, whatever you can swing, wherever you want to live, wherever it is. And then you buy a second one. You're still renting. Then your third property that you buy is one you're going to live in, but the other two rentals, they pay for your property tax. They pay for your mortgage payment. But Eric, if I wasn't building equity, you're not building equity for the first five years anyway. You're giving just loan interest to the bank. So it's almost irrelevant. Really? Why not learn to build wealth? Why not create the habits Instead of saying, and now I'm chained to this house for the next 30 years. You see, because if you learn to build wealth, then you can create wealth wherever you go. I'm going to stay in California. I'm going to retire and move. I'm going to get a new job uh, in in Vegas or Henderson or, or people do it. I just want you to learn how to build wealth. So you're somebody who's creating this never ending stream of income, but it does not come. It does not come from just a simple, oh, I'm going to do what my parents did because it's just not true. Your parents are not about building wealth. They were about an economic system. Not everybody, of course, but they were about an economic system that has changed. Right. As I mentioned, maybe the get a good job, work for the government story might still be there. That's a possibility. But overall, I want you to think about this. Somebody somewhere has to create wealth in your family. Why not you? Okay, here's another one I have that I think is pretty interesting. Oh, we talked about buying a house, right? I'm not a fan of that. Being debt-free, bad debt-free is very important. Right, in 2020, let me give you the statistic because this matters a lot to me. In 2020, only 55% of black Americans were investors compared to 71% of white Americans. You see, the gap has nothing to do with race. It has to do with economics. 
because two years later, 55% becomes 58%. Two years later, only 63% of white Americans are investors now. You see, the habits start to change. The delta, the difference, the gap really starts to close. So I want you to realize that the, that this, the difference in America, it's not race. It's economics. That's it. Today, you can teach people almost anything with these computer things, right? You can learn anything. So why not learn to be wealthy? When we come back, I'm going to touch on some more myths and then some things that I think are, are binding you and keeping you in a position financially to where your retirement isn't going to be what it is because you, you're really trapped in fear. That's what a lot of people do. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me after the break. 888 retire 888-997-3847. 3847. <laughs> I'll be right back after the break. The Total Financial Hour on AM870 The Answer. Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. The Total Financial Hour. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. Our job is to help you get out of debt, manage money, plan for retirement, stay away from the crazy stock market. You don't need that kind of risk, most people, especially if you're going to retire, especially if you're going to use it as an income source. Right. Let's think about this. When your parents said years ago that you should get a good job, save for the future, save for retirement, they forgot a couple of things because some of the myths that our parents taught us were really true and they were true. They were true based on whatever the tax laws were at the time, social norms were at the time, the economic situation of the country at the time. The problem is things just there was like a a right turn somewhere and, and things didn't change. For example, The laws, the rules today, and have been for quite some time, is if my children inherit real estate, millions of dollars, apartment buildings, hotels, just a little single family home down the street, our neighbor's house, when they moved, I bought it, right? Whatever it is, those kinds of things that that you might do, that I might do as we're growing up. When your children inherit that, paid off or not, tax-free, state and federal tax-free, by the way. Hmm. Rich people make those rules. So what about what about accounts in the market? Okay. So I just take my extra money and I buy XYZ stock. Whatever it is, mutual fund doesn't matter, goes up in value. I bought it for ten dollars, it's worth a hundred dollars a share. When I pass away, I give it to my kids. Guess how much my children get to inherit? Tax free. That's right. So maybe I never pay tax on that difference between $10 and $100. Now, what do rich people want you to do? They tell you to go to work, get a good job, put money in your retirement account at work, and if that's the only thing you're going to leave to your children, which I'm not recommending it, I'm recommending that you spend the daylights out of it, you put it there, fine. But every time you're buying from your paycheck, every two weeks, it pushes the market up. Right, I mean, in, in in a purity 
closed system. It's not an exact science, but you understand. Somebody's buying, somebody's selling. So when you're buying every two weeks, you're putting money into the system. You're buying shares. Your value from your retirement account goes from $10,000 to $100,000. And then you pass away. And your family, your kids, inherit $100,000. Guess what they have to pay tax on? All $100,000. Now, if the rich guy or you or me or now we figured out we can do it, bought that same stock outside, stock bond mutual fund outside, and we bought it for $10 a share, and it went up to 100. Now it's 100,000, let's say. But it's outside of a retirement account, ah, tax-free. Tax-free. So you see the myth of just putting money into the market, it's the how do you put money into the market? Just just buy 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 stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They never say to sell. Nobody ever says to sell. Now if your goal is to build wealth and then eventually pass it on to somebody, that's fine. You can do that. But if your goal instead is to use the money for your for your kids, but you want to live on it for the rest of your life, then you have to decide when you should get out of the market. Usually we say around 50 or 55 years of age, you got to start making some big changes, not little changes. If you're going to retire in the next 10 years, right? As you get closer to retirement, you start moving money out of risk out of the ups and downs of the market. Certainly the lump sums, you might continue to buy, right? Because the, the thing called dollar cost averaging, dollar cost averaging is when you buy when the market is low, you buy when the market is up. You buy when it's low, up, up, low. As you're doing that, you're accumulating more shares or more pieces of the company. Okay, so you, but you can't take shares to the grocery store. You take dollars. So when parents just say your your job is just just to accumulate, they're kind of half right. It is when you're working, certainly when you're under age 50. But as you get closer to retirement, your job is to start pushing some of those funds into safer and more protected places. Because we don't want to lose money at the wrong time. Nobody can tell you, and I'm going to retire in four and a half years. Great. What's the market going to be like? Nobody knows. Will I, be, will I be up? I don't know. So I want you to be thinking about this, knowing that your parents' mindset worked very well in a traditional role. But when laws and rules started changing, maybe from your, maybe your grandparents, depending on your age, right? Things started shifting and changing in the 70s, certainly in the 80s. But because their parents taught them who taught them who taught them, it's the same myth that just said, go to school, get a, uh, go to school, get good grades, then go to college and get a degree. And boy, if you want to be super smart, you go get that master's because that's going to make me as a parent look amazing. Psh, don't tell anybody that's why. Right. I, I want to use you as like a token. Oh, almost like a keychain. Right. My kid put it on a little keychain, walk around with it. Put it on your car, little bumper sticker. My kid and my money goes to Stanford. <laughs> or a little Harvard sweatshirt on a weekend. Cold, chilly weekend. I'm going to run out and grab a latte. Oh, let me use the Harvard shirt. So when somebody asks about it, I can say, oh, my child went there. And if you're not sure and you don't ask, you'll still know. You'll still know because it says Harvard on it. 
or UCLA or, or, or uh, Berkeley or psh, don't tell anybody, but Columbia University. I have a hat. It says Columbia. I wear it when I golf just in case somebody says, hey, did you go to Columbia? I didn't. But oh, my daughter did. You can play those games, right? It's the it's the old thing that matters. I look at them and I go, oh, I feel sorry for you. They go, what? I go, I feel so bad because they probably have a degree that they can't use. And they'll say something like, no, no, no. She's a biomedical science major. Oh, great. Well, that's amazing. That's great. Probably could learn just about everything that you needed. Now, look, I'm still saying you have to go to college. I told my kids you got to go to school. But we're not going to pay for it the same way everybody else does. Why would you do that? Right? You have to go to community college. That's the deal. Two two years, maybe three years, community college. We have one of the best community colleges systems right in L.A. College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita, right? The Santa Clarita College District, whatever they call it this week. So, so those are great schools. Ventura has some pretty good schools. San San Bernardino, pretty good schools. But the bottom line, when you go and take classes, that is where it's free-ish. Right? That's where it's 50 bucks, $200. Yeah, you have to pay $500 for books or something. But the idea is the kids go there and they practice. They play pretend college. Now, I don't mean the college is pretend, nor are the professors. I mean, they get to pretend to be different college majors. I want to go be an English major. Yay. Oh, I hate English. All right, next. I'm going to learn welding. Wonderful. Oh, I actually think I can be a welder. Right? You can bounce around and and pretend different majors at the community college while getting a great education, while learning habits, hopefully making friends. Because the myth your parents never told you about education and IQ is that EQ is way more important. Emotional Quotient, The intelligence of understanding people, reading people, the feelings of people, understanding people, how to build teams of people, even informal teams like friends, right? You have a group of people. They all get together. Each of them have a different strength, right? You want to learn those things. You want to learn the ability to build that coalition. Well, that doesn't come from a book. And my push for community college is even if your kid is the most brightest in the world, well, he's going to go to uh, to Yale. Okay, as long as you have the money, I don't care what you do with your money. You want him to go to Yale, go to Yale. But if you're going to borrow money from from the taxpayers or you're going to worse, worse than that, take money from your retirement account or refinance your house or pull money from a credit card, if you're going to do that to pay for your child's education, shame on you, now you know. You see, your parents would do that, but it was 2000 bucks. wasn't going to change anybody's life. Right? That's a big deal. It's a big difference. You have to understand that you are not in a position to be the same. And because they're not going to start, because everybody has a a degree these days, they're, they're not going to walk into a room and be valuable. I mean, they are, they're, they're decent people, but it used to be, Oh, you have a, you have a four year degree. Oh, come on in. Now it's like, okay, great. Next. Can you still put together an English sentence next? Do you still love America? 
because sometimes coming out of four-year colleges, mm, that's a tough part of loving America. M- m- many of them don't. And I don't hire people that hate this country. I just don't. I don't know. Maybe that's a E-O-D-D-D-E-D thing. <laughs> you have to hire people that hate America. Not interested. Right? I don't want you as a friend. I'm not interested for you as a client. I'm sorry. I love you. I just don't need it anymore. Maybe when I started in the financial practice, I would take, I'm just not interested. I don't want to make you wealthy. Why would I, why would I want to help you protect your wealth if you hate this country and, and veterans and police officers and firefighters, right? And you're a racist pig is what I would say, because that's what I think you are. I mean, maybe I can't use that word, but maybe I did. Right? Why would I why would I want to take my skill set and make somebody who thinks segregation, right? Remember when Democrats controlled the South, they had segregation down there. You remember that? Black drinking fountains, white drinking fountains. Back then they called them colored cafeteria counters, or you could sit at the counter, you couldn't. Right? White colleges, black colleges, on and on and on. Remember that? Well, guess who's doing it today? Democrats founded the KKK. Let's be clear on that. You you don't have to like it. You can be mad about it. But Democrats are also doing, this is a surprise, segregation again. What? Harvard graduation, black graduation, segregation. Except now they make it cool. Right? You know that? They, They make it cool. I want you to have the opportunity to understand that being a racist is not cool, right? Black dormitories, black clubs, black social hours, right? That's just not cool. It wasn't back in the 40s and 50s. And when the Republicans sweeped through the South and started changing, when they made the laws illegal to have this uh, segregation and, and this I guess, racist priorities, what ended up happening? Uh, Surprise, the folks became Republicans. Why do you think it's not that way anymore? Every time they change these policies and people's eyes open, they just become conservative again. I mean, you realize that. These things can change dramatically. But when you control the education system and you force people out of what reason? I don't know. I just, I was told, go to college, go to college. Why? I don't know. But it's now a filter. It's a funnel that pushes everybody in to regurgitate what the professors just said. Independent thinking, the idea of being in a high school sociology class and coming up with your own ideas instead of regurgitating what they said. Or your perspective on history, different than what they're talking about. America is racist and and genocidal and killed off the Indians. And this is Indian land, Native American land. Right? I heard that. But when I was in Mr. Schaefer's 12th grade history class, I raised my hand. I said, excuse me, sir, didn't the Indians kill off each other as well? Well, that's not what we're talking about today. I go, no, no, no. But, but you're saying that. You know, the Americans, the white people came and they killed off the Native Americans. But didn't the Paiute enslave the Apache and the Apache enslave the Navajo? Didn't they have slaves way back when and raped and pillaged and, and stole other tribes people's land? I mean, wasn't that what they were doing before? 
You don't have to like it. It doesn't have to be right. It just has to be the way it is. And I'm not saying that what they did justifies, you know, bad behavior justifies more bad behavior. But but you have to be honest about the fact that at the end of the story, who ended up winning? Well, Well, the Europeans, why? Well, they just had guns and they had immunity to the germs. They knew how to make steel and not just bronze. So when they played the same game that the Native American tribes were playing, which was enslaving and stealing land and stealing the people, right? Who won? The one that was better at it. Doesn't mean the, the, the other one was bad or good. It just means it's what happened. So some of this myth that our parents have taught us, which is go to school, go to college, get a good degree and win at the end of the story, that, that particular game of playing now indoctrinates you into a left-wing way of thinking, not even a Democrat way of thinking. The problem is you Democrats still vote for the left-wing. So you center Democrats that don't believe in segregation still vote for them. Just like some of the Democrats in the South didn't have slaves and didn't even like slavery, some of them. Even though it was controlled by the Democrat Party, but guess who they still voted for? The Democrats. Right? There were millions of people part of the KKK at the turn of the last century. Very quickly, when it was exposed to what it was using the medium of the day, which was television, uh, radio, right? Before the television came in the 50s, before that was radio, before that was uh, cinematic. But, but as the anti-KKK and the pro-civil rights movement started pushing through the system, and people were now informed, what you started seeing was the KKK dropping and more and more. Today, it's probably thousands of members, not even tens of thousands, probably thousands, maybe, if you're lucky, two, three, five. So do you see how information informed, educated people no longer vote for the Democrat Party? And for the racist tendencies, why do you think they're controlling Facebook, Google? Why do you think they're controlling the way information is disseminated on the evening television, the 30-minute, 60-minute sitcoms? You understand that the man is always the doofus in the story, right? There's no strong male figure. Heaven forbid you have a Bill Cosby, okay, minus his his criminal tendencies, but a Bill Cosby-type character, right? The Huxtables, strong father, educated mother. Nuclear family. Heaven forbid you have that. All the kids from the same parents. You, you, once you change that education system, right? If it was normal, if it was informed, and you allowed free will on the internet, you allowed free will in the community marketplace, the Democrat policies go away. But instead, they're trying to hang on for life, for dear life. They're hanging on by beating up college instructors and and, uh, high school teachers. Again, most of them vote Democrat. And most of them don't like the policies, but they have to do them or they lose their job. Right? That's important. You have to realize when, when educated out, the myths of our parents are gone. They, they just start disappearing. Once we educate out and we say, mm, maybe there's a better way, things change. 
Here's another one, by the way. This is pretty important. Uh, myth number f- I don't know what number this is, five, six, seven, whatever it is. <laughs> Keep your savings and checking accounts in the same place. Stay in one financial institution. Stay loyal to that one financial bank. And the banker knows you. And he, yes, he is in his three-piece suit across the room. And you walk in. Hi, I'm with Jimmy, and he wants to open a bank account. Well, hi, Jimmy. Please open up your bank account. Let me see your passbook. I'm going to write in your first $3. Remember that? I used to walk in. My mom would keep those uh, passbook savings accounts in a drawer, keep them safe and protected so none of us kids could grab them and go to the bank, as if today somebody couldn't write whatever they want on them. Very weird. You know, there was a level of honesty that, that permeated society. It's why you left car doors unlocked and windows open when you went to the grocery store and keys in the car when you ran inside and came back out. Your, your front doors were even unlocked. Right? That level of honesty that happens with a passbook savings account when you walk in is completely different. I mean, yes, they had their own records that they had to correlate with yours and, and decide that, and of course, they were usually correct. But the idea of having loyalty to a bank or a credit union is tough these days, not because loyalty is a bad thing. It's because they recycle managers and tellers more than they do shoes in some cases. They just recycle these folks because they don't pay them very well. Let's be clear about that. They never have. My sister worked at one of the big banks. uh, Remember Security Pacific Bank? She worked there decades and decades ago. And they were still paying nothing compared to to other jobs back then. But it was in an air-conditioned place. It was a professional environment. You could move up. There was always a challenge trying to get hours, right? Instead of a credit union being open when you work and then closed when you're off work, right? Or, Or a bank doing the same thing. Wouldn't it be amazing if a bank opened early? Oh, I don't know. Let's say 6 o'clock in the morning or 6.30 in the morning. And then closed at maybe seven o'clock at night and then was open all day Saturday. So you could come in and do your banking. Well, instead of that happening, right, they never really changed. So what they did, the banks and the credit union industry, they forced the Internet banking institution. When is the Internet bank closed? Never. Two in the morning, I can do it. If I feel like I wake up early, go to sleep late. I can work on my banking. I can, ready for this, take a picture of a check. Do you realize that is incredible? Right or wrong, dishonest, I can write $10 million for Air Falby. Take a picture, clink. It's just like me going in with a passbook and saying, oh, no, Mr. Johnson, it's not $1,000. It's $10,000 in my passbook savings account. He says, great. Wow, that's wonderful, little Arif. I'll get to you in just a second. Let me check my records. Right? So the inability for the banking system to meet the needs of the customer changed the entire industry. So when your parents say, keep your checking and savings in the same place, get the same bank, get the same credit union, uh, be loyal to them so they'll be loyal to you, there is zero, 100% zero loyalty from a bank. Now, you're going to get some, 5 10% in a community bank. I know it. I've experienced it personally. I'm a big member in our community. I've been there for a long time. I walk in. I say, hey, we need a loan. They go, well, fill out these forms. And they go, well, Eric, you know, in fact, we know you. We've known you for years. You've been in the community forever. 
We know people that work. You have, you have customers of, of my company, of Arif's company, are, are employees of the bank. So they know me. They know what kind of business I do. So the community bank, you get a little bit of love, but really only if it's on the bubble, right? In other words, should we give them or not? Is it a loan? Yes or no? Should we give them a loan? Should we not? Right? If you're in that little undecided area, knowing somebody at the credit union or bank having a history is, is better for you, no question. But in the bigger banks and in the credit union world, they take those decisions and they send them far away. Those decisions are not here. Those decisions are made somewhere else in a headquarters far away. And they're made on a one-dimensional piece of paper. Nobody knows you. Nobody cares about you. Those are decisions for things like car loans and house loans and million-dollar bank loans and lines of credit and on and on. You're not going to get it if you're not built on a piece of paper, right? Your credit, your job, your income, your tax returns. So I don't want you to be loyal to any bank or credit union just right off the bat. Instead, I want you to be loyal to the products. The reason is simple. Because the products are are guaranteed in, in banks and credit unions, insurance companies, then you have a position to shop. So you might have two or three bank accounts at the end of the story, right? One gives you a great CD. One gives you great customer service. One is close to home, so you can get cash at ATMs. One's better over here. All right, so kind of keep that in mind. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888 3847. Love to hear from you. Your emails are after the break. Arif at tfswealth.com. Send me your emails, your questions. Arif at tfswealth.com. Triple eight ninety nine retire. That's me. Stay with me after the break. Triple eight ninety nine retire on AM eight seventy. The answer. Learn from Arif Halabi. Learn about financial power. The total financial. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. I'm Arab Halabi. This is the Total Financial Hour. Second hour of our show. Your emails, your questions. I appreciate it. Thanks for for, uh, always participating. It's nice. Sometimes I don't get to everybody I understand. Sometimes I I look for questions that I see happening more and more. Uh, Let's say in the last two or three weeks. Oh, my gosh. This is somebody that keeps on coming. uh, or, Or sorry, this is an issue that keeps on coming up. And this person has a great email regarding that issue. So that's why I might bring that up because I'm seeing uh, it uh, really impact more and more people. So that's the reason. All right. This is important as we go through your life, because I think for so many of you, you forget that uh, times change, right? Economically, things are different. Five years ago, I would have said, never put your money in a CD. It's called a certificate of depreciation. You're just not keeping up with inflation. Today, I might say, well, it depends. You could get some pretty good rates. So I wanted to kind of go over a little bit about what happens in the macro system. And then I'm going to get to this question so you can see the context. So, and look, this is not designed to be a master class of economics regarding the Federal Reserve. It's for you to understand it. My goal is to always keep things simple and easy to understand. And I think you will get this 
the way I explain it. All right. When the Federal Reserve and the banking system was created, they were created to put money into the U.S. economy and take money out of the U.S. economy. All right. So in a nutshell, it works like this. The system, if you will, the banking system relies on money that you deposit. So you go to work, you make money, your job company pays you, and you go to the bank and deposit it. So let's say you deposit $100,000 for whatever reason. When you have $100,000, you deposit it. The bank does not want to keep that money in a box or in a drawer with your name on it. They want to get rid of it that afternoon. It has to be gone. It has to, each night, the books for the bank have to balance, meaning deposits coming in, that's your 100000 and money going out in the form of a loan for that guy for a new car, a new boat, a new house, credit card, etc. Or even another bank that needs to borrow money because they have way too many loans and not enough deposits from their uh, depositors. So you can lend money from one bank to another bank. They do that all the time. So every night, trillions probably of dollars float back and forth from me to you, to you to him, her to him. And the banks are balancing their books overnight. So the next day they start out with the amount of liabilities. That's the money they owe to you as a depositor and the assets. That's the money they have uh, as a loan that they gave you for a new boat or a new car or a new house. All right. The Federal Reserve in the 70s, after the gold standard went away, they said, okay, now banks, you can now lend more money than is on deposit. So instead of being able to lend 100000 because I put $100,000 in my deposit, the bank or credit union can now lend, let's just say, 10 times that number. So the bank can lend $1 million. Now the bank has to keep $8,000. It's 8%. If I put in 100, they have to keep 8000 in cash or cash equivalents. They have to set it aside. They can't touch it. They have to leave it there for emergencies. But the rest of that money, 92,000 times 10, so 920,000, can be loaned out for somebody to buy this building, for somebody to buy that house, that car, whatever it might be. So if somebody defaults on a $920,000 loan, the bank only has $8,000 in cash, how are they going to pay off the rest of that money? Where are they going to get the funds to balance their books? The FDIC is involved. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. It's, it's not the Federal Deposit Insurance Agency or Department of the Federal Reserve. No, no. It's an insurance company. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Insurance Corporation. Insurance Company. You understand? So when people say, oh, I don't know if I like annuities, I'm not sure, are they safe? I'm like, do you understand the banking system uses insurance companies, period? They always have. For as long as you can know that the money's been at risk in the, in the banking system, well, they have a plan B, which is a backup called $250,000 per account of insurance. So these are big deals. Now, the bank says, we want to lend out a lot of money. Because we want to make more money. The Federal Reserve says, we'll give it to you for 1% interest. So now you walk in, a couple years later, you say, hey, I have another 100000 I want to deposit in this CD. And the bank says, well, we don't want it. So how does a bank tell you they don't want your money? Because a few years ago, you wanted my money. Today, you don't. You're a bank. Well, they say, 
how they tell you they don't want their money, your, your money is simple. They just pay you 0.7% interest. You're thinking, are you kidding me? 0.7? I'm not going to give you my $100,000 for, for 700 bucks a year. This is crazy. So you say, forget it. Let me have my money back. And you leave and you go put it in the stock market or you buy real estate. So when interest rates were low, the reason those things were going higher is because money that should have been safe and protected instead was redirected to the stock market or the real estate market. Because you thought, oh, well, at least I can make a little bit of money there. Because a bank doesn't want your money. That's how they did it. Because they got it from the Fed. The government was printing, printing, printing. So they gave them, gave them money. At, at nearly free costs, right? Almost nothing. So the reason I bring that up is for you today, it's the opposite. The Federal Reserve is pulling money out of the system. High bank, less money for you to borrow from us. Don't give us your, nope, nope. You can't get any more money. You have enough. We're not giving you any more money. So instead, the bank turns to you and me. And says, hey, remember when I told you it was 0.7? Just kidding. It's 4.5%, 6%, So then you pull money from those places, real estate, stock market, whatever. And you go and take it to the bank or the credit union and deposit it. And remember, what can the bank do right away? They have to turn around and lend it out. But they need to make a profit. So if they're paying you 4%, They're going to have to put out a car loan or a house loan or something else, credit card, but at six or seven or 8% or more, they have to create a profit. Also known as a spread, the Delta, the spread, the difference between that 4% that they're giving you now and the higher rate, because the federal reserve is pulling money out of the system every month, billions of dollars, actually. 80, 90, 100 billion, depending on the month. I don't know if they just burn it in a big incinerator. What do they do with it? Probably give it to North Korea or, or Iran, because that's what the Biden administration did or under or the Obama and Biden administration did. They gave them t- pallets of cash. Another story, but you get the idea. They can do other things with the money. So who knows? Who knows what they do with it? But it's gone. It's out of the circulation of the system. So the value of money at least their goal is to make it more valuable, which drives down inflation because there's less money circulating. So there are a couple of ways to make sure that the circulation of the money, right? That, that inflation is less. Here's one of them. You and I and two other people are fighting for the, the purchase of this table. And so they say the table is a hundred dollars. And I, all four of us say we want one. They go, well, we only have one table. So they keep raising the price, inflation, until two people leave and one person leaves. Finally, the table is $160. All three of us have gotten out, and the one person says, fine, I'll take it. I want it for $160. I'm, I'm fine paying a higher cost for that table. So one way to make inflation go down, and believe it or not, the most inefficient way, is to pull money out of the system. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Mary. You two lose your job. The Federal Reserve came out recently in Congress and said one of the ways to get inflation under control is we need rapid deceleration of employment. That means unemployment. People need to be fired and laid off. They're actually a proponent of this. To get money out of the system, you have to drive the country into a recession. Is that wild? What is another way to make it work? What is another way 
to make the four of us that want to buy this table. In my example, right, to get rid of inflation, it's simple. It's to increase production. Why not keep the price the same, but let's build three more tables, right? So all four of us could buy a table. We want a table. We bought a table, $100, $100, $100. In other words, you create an increase in production. You create an increase in the ability for more gas and oil. So the cost goes down. The same amount of money is in the system. You can slowly pull that out in various ways, but you don't have to be forcing the country into a recession. You can create more products and services. So instead of a lot of dollars chasing few products and services, you can have the same amount of dollars in the system, but there's enough product and service. In fact, that's how we did it. There wasn't inflation. That's not a normal thing. The Federal Reserve trying to tell you that inflation is normal. It isn't normal. You don't have to have it. You can create more products and services, be more efficient. So instead of the table costing 100 you can say, well, I have now five tables, not just four, but they're now $90 each. So another person says, well, now I can afford it. Right today, can you say televisions? These flat screen TVs that were thousands of dollars are mere hundreds of dollars. Computers and laptops that can run the space shuttle in 1986 today is what? Less than half the price at twice the power, right? So my point is you have seen this change happen in the price of things. Why not have this change happen now? It's simple. The Democrat administration does not want to have the amount of goods and services increase. They need people to suffer. It's the indirect result, but ultimately that's what they do. They need people to suffer a recession to occur so that you turn around and say, thank you, governor. May I have another? Can I have another, please, Mr. Biden? You put your hands out. You ask for food. You ask for more chip chaff staff, whatever that is for the new um, indentured servitude, right? Because that's what it is. Their goal of giving you government assistance, welfare and food stamps and Head Start. It's all to make you dependent on the government. Not yourself, not your church, charity, organization, community, not, nope, the federal and state government instead of yourself. All right, so you understand that that the economic situation can change, and it does. All right, here is Sandra, and I think you should know this is pretty important because in this particular case, I'm going to cover some of the things I just covered. Here's a letter, an email rather, from Sandra. And it's important because you have to realize she sent this not too long ago, just a couple weeks ago. All right. Dear Arif, I'm 56 years old and I have listened to your show for over 15 years. And I remember when you said that short term accounts and annuities were not that great. My concern is I need short term money to be available for me to purchase for the purchase of a home either later this year or early next. I still have my retirement account at my old employer. And I'm wondering if I can use this for the purchase of my house. Also, since my kids are now older, is there a reason to still have my trust as the beneficiary or should I make them as a direct beneficiary outside of the trust? I want to make sure that my charity also receives something, maybe 10% if I die. All right. Here's another question. It's part of the same email. Another question. Do I have the ability to withdraw from my 401k plan? 
I have $300,000 in the plan and I think I can withdraw money. I'm not sure how much I can. I'm just not sure how to do it or go about it. Sandra. All right. First of all, let's break this down. She's a lot of questions in this email, but I want to make sure I cover them all. Uh, for the last 15 years, I've said short-term accounts and annuities were not great. Kind of not true all the way. Let's be clear on that. Short-term accounts, yes, because interest rates were t- in the tank, right? Just low. But annuities, I'm not a fan of variable annuities. Fixed and fixed index annuities, I love. But variable annuities, I don't. And the reason is simple. A variable annuity can go up and down in value. And you pay a fee. You can lose money and you pay a fee. I don't like that. I think there is a way to clarify, if to build, right? I think there is a way to use annuities the right way without the cost and fees of rider charges and M&E expenses and on and on. The fees that are associated with variable annuities, I'm not a fan of. Fixed, fixed index annuities, I love. Okay, continuing. She wants to purchase a house for the short term. All right, now she can borrow money from her 401k plan, her current, as long as you're employed with them. You're allowed to take out $50,000 or 50%, whatever is lower. Now, she has $300,000 in the account, so the most she can take out is $50,000. If she had $80,000 in her retirement account, she could borrow $40,000. If she had $100,000, she could borrow fifty. If she has $120,000, she can still only borrow fifty. dollars 200, still 50. All right. When you borrow 50,000, you have to pay it back or it becomes a taxable event. Now, because she is under the age of 59 and a half, right? She's 56. She is allowed to decide a couple of things. She is allowed to uh, decide if she wants to take the money out now. Well, she's going to pay a a penalty and a fee, 10%. That's a lot. And I don't want her to pay a fee. I don't want her to pay that penalty, that extra tax. Because the state of California has a fee. So does the federal government. we got to make sure we're not doing that. That's important. All right, so we, we talked about the fee. It's a big deal for me. I can't have you do that. It's, it's wasted money. It goes away, right? So she's 56. How do we still manipulate this number in a good way, of course? How do we manipulate this to not end up having her pay a fee? Well, number one. You can borrow 50000 I think that's my first choice. You heard me bring that up as to why and how, where that comes from. Next, I want her to say, what does she have in her checking and savings accounts, right? If she can put money aside, if she has money set aside in her checking and savings, then that's a great place to start. But if she says, hey, listen, I don't have as much money. Sandra, you may not have more or extra money. Well, let's count that 50000 We can count that as a, as a big number. Then next is between now and the end of the year or next year, whatever you were putting in your retirement account, I know this is counterintuitive to what a lot of you guys say, but I just don't want her to to pull money out of her retirement accounts or borrow money. Just don't put money in. So take that $1,500 or $2,000 a month, whatever you were putting in your retirement account, and just save it. And now by the end of next year or or this time next year or whatever it might be, maybe you have an additional twenty or $30,000. That plus the fifty. Now you have a fairly good deposit down payment for the purchase of a house. Okay, that's important. All right, her other question. She was talking about as a beneficiary of these accounts. Should she have her kids as a beneficiary directly now that they're adults or through the trust? All right, let me give you the pros and cons of both. When you put the trust as the beneficiary, 
it's better to do so if you have multiple beneficiaries where percentages are in place, meaning I have a house, I have many different assets, I have many different cars and, and furniture and jewelry and on and on and on. If I want certain things to be specifically laid out, you have to have a will, right? Mary Sue gets this, Jimmy gets that, uh, Bill gets the car, right? If you have certain items, then you need a living trust and inside of the trust is a will. The will handles the distribution of the property. When you want 10% to go to your church or charity, my concern is when it's 10%, when it's a percentage, you tend to get organizations that have more money than cents, right? Different religious organizations, different companies, different groups, and they tend to fight it. Well, uh, Sandra, your trustee, right? You're dead now. So Sandra, your trustee is, is uh, Jeremy. Jeremy, you sold the house for $520,000. It should have been 580 if you would have held on. Look at the market. So we want 10% of 580, not 520. So give us more money, right? Sometimes the charities and the organizations, when you give a percentage, will question the valuation of things that are variable in their valuation, like the sale of land or patents or companies or real estate. They will question it and say, oh, I'm supposed to get a bigger, bigger percentage, a bigger dollar figure because the percentage I, I have was based on a lower number. It needs to be a higher number. I have seen that happen twice. Same organization, by the way, but uh, I've just seen it happen twice. And I, my concern is this. When you sit down, I want you to, to break it down so that the beneficiary is laid out in dollars. If you can. Now, maybe you, you want to adhere, and I'm okay with it. If your goal is to adhere to the, the tithing principle, the 10th principle, get a good adjustment, get a good, uh, uh, I guess, estimate, and just put the dollar figure. If you have a million dollars estate, say, I want $100,000 to go to this charity, because that's not questionable, right? It's 100000 Now, if your estate starts to grow and it becomes 1.2, 1.5, you go back into the trust, you do an amendment. Hey, I, I did, uh, I used to say it was 100000 now it's 150. Okay? Sometimes you can put percentages of a specific asset. So of all of my cash, I want 10% of that number to go to the charity. So you can get specific, but just realize charities will push. All right, now what about the individuals? All right. Most of the time in, in trust land, if the trust is the beneficiary, it needs to have what's called a see-through or a look-through provision. Check with your attorneys and your, CP, your, your attorneys or your uh, estate planners. I'm not an attorney, so I can't give you that. I'm, I'm a certified estate planner, but I'm not an attorney. So make sure your attorney who handles your trust, bring these words, these phrases, and have them take a look at it. All right. What is a look-through or see-through provision? It tells the court, hey, I know that I put Jimmy as my beneficiary in the trust, but and the trust is the beneficiary of the retirement account. But I want you to look through the trust because it's going to go to Jimmy anyway. And I want to make it as if Jimmy was already the beneficiary and gets the money directly. Okay, so you can put that in there, the see-through provision. My recommendation is anything with the beneficiary, provided your kids are decent, they're good with money. Okay, I'll get to that in a second. Then I want the kids to be the beneficiaries directly. 
I'd like to have them listed. I don't prefer a trust. Now, if your estate exceeds a particular number, then you're going to need different different provisions. You're going to need different planning. I think right now it's probably 11 or 12 million, whatever it might be. Don't worry about it for most people. In your case, Sandra, it's not something to be concerned about. But if eventually through real estate or if they bring the number down to six, seven, eight million, five million, right? They've done that before. Congress has moved that number all over the place. If they do that again, then I want you to be clear that that you might have to make some changes. Okay, so keep that in mind. Here's the part that matters. I don't want you get to give money to one of your kids if they have money problems. All right, this is important. I don't like you to be, oh, uh, oh gosh, Jimmy married a, an attorney and so she's rich and she comes from a rich family and Jimmy's doing great. He has a rental property and six investments and, and is wealthy and is, has his own money and a big savings account. So I'm not going to give Jimmy anything, even though he's my son. I'm going to give Susie. Susie's broke. She lives at home. She needs the money. No, you have to do just the opposite. Yes, that means you give Susie nothing. Wait a second, Arif, but she needs it. Now, look, she needs it because she's lousy with money and she has made choices. This isn't now. I'm not saying she's special needs. If she is, there's special needs trust provisions. I'm just saying somebody who sits around, who's lazy, who has uh, self-esteem or self-worth issues. That's hard. I'm sorry. You got to fix those things, but you can't give that person money. It's like saying, you know, they can barely handle matches. I'm going to give them a blowtorch. But, but they burnt them their little pinky with the matches. I know. Let's give them a blowtorch. They're going to burn down the town. Right? You don't give somebody who's lousy with money more money. Now, if you want to make sure your daughter or your son's position, whoever it is that's lousy with money, if you want to ensure that they have a better life, then you might say, well, I'm going to create a provision. I'm going to create uh, uh, the, the ability... For the trust to exist and to pay for their food, their shelter, their clothing. They'll never own anything. They don't, they don't own the money. They can't access the money. But then the new executor, the successor trustee who executes the wishes of your trust, Sandra, if you have a child who's bad with money, what you do is you make sure that the food, shelter, clothing is paid for. Right? I'll pay your rent up to $1,500 a month, for example. I'll give I'll pay for a car up to $300 a month. Meaning they still have to do something cuz you're not going to get a, a really a place to live for 1500, so you're going to have to put money your own money in Susie. You have to go to work. You have to create wealth, you have to do something, All right? Very important. All right, stay with me after the break. Another email, your email when I come back. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour, TFS Financial Insurance Services, on your place for news talk and information. AM870, the answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. That's our number. 
888-997-3847. We help you, uh, listen, my goal is never to make you rich. Right? Any financial professional who says, I can make you rich, I go, well, that's nice. Uh, before you do that, how about uh, just keeping me from going broke? Can you do that? I met with somebody this week, and they had put in, it was a relatively small account in their mind. It wasn't in, in us, but she goes, Eric, if I had saved my whole life, it's $129,000. I said, well, first of all, that's not a small account. Great job. I mean, certainly there are larger ones out there. We've dealt with them. But when this is your money, no matter what it is, it's a, it's a large account. It's yours. She said, oh, well, thank you. 129000 What she deposited in that account was 120000 So she had earned $9,000. When we looked at the fees and the costs, the total fees and costs, right? This is important. You understand this. It's the total cost. When I put it in, and what is it worth today? And then what was the total cost for me to get to there? Sometimes financial professionals will trick you. They will do things like, uh, well, you put in 120000 it's worth 129000 and we charge you 1% a year. You think, oh, well, that's not bad. That's great. I made $9,000 for 1%. No, no, no. You made 1% a year is what you paid in fee every single year. All the way down the line for a decade. And in her case... She made about $9,000 and she paid about $15,000 in fees. Who do you think lost sleep at that money when it went up and down? Who do you think was concerned when that account went up and down? Who do you think had to work for that money? You see, your advisor makes all the money with none of the risk. You make some of the money with all of the risk. That is why it's not a fair system. It doesn't work that way. It's not built into some sort of a formula that makes sense. Right? You have to ask yourself, does this even work? Does this even make sense financially? Okay, so keep in mind that you guys are playing two different games. All right, well, this is the season, season for traveling. Right? This is a great weekend, by the way. Uh, I should say, happy 4th of July to America and to you, because this is the weekend that we celebrate the birth of our nation and please celebrate the birth of the nation, right? Sit around the table and talk about what you love about America, not what you hate. There's a lot of problems. Talk about what you love about America. I think that's an incredible part of the story. And when you do that, you can really lay down at least the gratefulness for this weekend's barbecues. All right. Travel is a big part of it. Here's why I want to bring that up. I want to give you some of my travel tips because I like to travel I've been traveling my whole life. My dad worked for the airlines when I was young, so I used to go to Europe for 80 bucks. <laughs> you had to spend money when you were there, but still got to go to Europe for $80 or $20 to Hawaii, sometimes free because his friend owned a hotel there. I always, I always joked, uh, you guys know my father just passed away, but uh, he was an incredible guy. He knew everybody. Like he, he was friends with people, and he was friends with the person who owned a hotel in Waikiki Beach. A block off the beach, but still in Waikiki, you know, one block you walk and you're at the water. And he, he knew people that were general managers of other airlines because that was his job, was man, manager of North America. So what he did is, is we would fly for free because that's what you do. You fly standby. Many of you know you work for Southwest Airlines. You get to fly for free. United, fly for free. Other airlines sometimes, too. Well, we got to fly for free. And then when we got there, his friend owned a hotel. So we'd stay one block off the ocean, 
And there was a small one-story building in front of us, so you could see right over it once you were high enough. Had a swimming pool. We, had, we were in the ocean. We'd walk around. We would take bologna sandwiches with us. We would pack them into our suitcases. <laughs> I loved who we would take tomatoes, and we'd pack them into our shoes, wrap them in plastic bags, you know, so they didn't get collapsed. We'd, we'd wrap uh, we'd have bologna and American cheese. Right? You'd, we would buy bread. We'd buy milk. But we would take big boxes of cereal, Cheerios, whatever. We'd put them in our suitcase. And then when we were there, my parents knew where the local Safeway was, and that's where they would buy the, the perishables. Because the other things, boxed items, those things cost a lot of money to get there. Vegetables cost a lot of money to get there. They don't produce enough fruits and vegetables on the island for the consumption of the folks on the island. So everything is imported, so it's expensive. And I used to laugh. I'd say, you know, we may not be able to afford to, to go camping, but dang it, we could go and do whatever we wanted when it came to uh, um, flying to Hawaii for the weekend. I always thought that was hilarious. We would fly to Hawaii for the weekend, and people would wonder, what are you guys doing? So we just got back. We left on Friday. We came back on Tuesday. A fun experience. What an amazing life that my dad provided for us. So traveling has always been a part of it, okay? Here's a big deal. I want you to do this. Take pictures of your suitcases before you fly. These are just some travel tips I learned. Because if it gets lost and you say, oh, by the way, it's the black one with the, <laughs> with the handle. Some of you put little ribbons and, and bows and, and little tags and purple tags and blue this, things that stand out. That's nice. But those things get ripped off. They get torn off. You see them all the time around the carousel. But not just your check bags. Take pictures of your carry-on. And when you go to sleep, if it's a long flight, if you're going to sleep uh, down below, I want you to take whatever is valuable. I don't want you to leave it in the upper. Because there are people that that prowl, if you will, the bags up top. When people are asleep, they go and they rifle through your bags. So I want whatever's valuable in that bag to be at your feet. If you're going to go to sleep on the plane, put your foot around the strap so that nobody can pull it out. I know it sounds a little awkward, but I have seen it. I've flown enough to where I've seen all of these things happen. All right, here's a couple others before I get to the email. I have another email I want to get to in just a second. Put your information inside the main compartment of the suitcase. So you're going to have your tag on two different places, right? Your name and address and your phone number, your cell phone today. But the address I want on it is your work address, I don't want you to put your home address because the moment you put your home address on it and you send it through the baggage department and the folks on the other side, they look at it, they go, oh, this plane is going to London. This is their address. We know they're gone to London for at least a couple of days. I can text or take a picture of this tag with the address, send it to my buddies. They know you're gone and your house will be burglarized. So instead, I want you to put an office address or a friend's address, somebody somewhere who's going to be home so that if it's lost, instead of sitting at your doorstep for three days until you return from your trip, I want that suitcase to go somewhere where somebody has it. And plus, it will be a business, a location in which there will be people there and they're not going to come in and just burglarize. And the reason I want your name tag on the inside is sometimes those things do get torn off. And if your bag is lost, they just unzip the main compartment and sitting on top is a little tag with your name and address or your phone number or your name and your phone number, right? You don't have to put your address necessarily, but your name and your phone number. Okay. Another one I learned, I love it. Before I get to your email, I'm coming up on that here in just a second is this. Freeze your water bottles. 
Freeze them before you go. And I mean deep freeze. Don't just freeze them a little bit. Because solid ice can go through TSA. And when you're on the other side, you can run it through some hot water and loosen it up. I like cold water. And sometimes you get to the other side, and I do want you to buy two water bottles usually. As soon as you get through security, my kids know this. We go straight over, and we spend our 10 bucks or whatever it is on two little water bottles that cost $0.45. Cents. Stinks. It's the price of an airline ticket nowadays, I guess. But you buy your regular water bottles. But you can take frozen water bottles. And you can take one of those instead of the disposable ones, which is what I like to carry because I don't want to carry this big aluminum thing around all the time, even when it's empty. But my wife does. And you can put ice in it and you freeze it. Right? So all the ice inside is frozen. It's there. And you can go through security. You just have to pull it out, put it on the conveyor belt, and they'll see frozen water bottles. Before it goes through, just in case you've, it's been a while since you've, you took, took it out of the freezer, you got to the airport, and it's been a few hours, and maybe it's warmed up a little bit, open the bottle, drink a little bit of the water out, whatever's there, so that not more than four ounces goes through, and off it goes. All right, just some tips and tricks. I like that. Make sure you have toothbrushes and floss in the outside of your bag. I like to freshen up, especially if on a long flight. Okay, that's important. All right, those are just some of my tips. I like to give them to you because I think this is the travel season. We're going to be doing things this summer. And boy, is this important because you and I both are going to be in a position of hopefully wanting to get out, vacation a little bit, enjoy life a little bit. And this is uh, why not do it in a, in a safe manner. Okay. Here is a client. I'm not even going to use their name. And the reason is, well, you'll see why in just a second, because you're going to probably deduce who this is. All right. Dear Arif, my wife is 66 and retiring as a physician from a big hospital chain in Los Angeles. She will be receiving a large pension, uh, a large pension buyout or a monthly check. I'm 67 and a retired business owner, and I only have Social Security as a pension. She has to make a decision on whether to receive nearly $890,000 in a lump sum or a monthly check of $5,800 per month. We are not sure of the best way to distribute the money. We do have three kids and four grandchildren. We want them to inherit something from us someday, but our first concern is us and our lifestyle in retirement. Our three children, or sorry, all three of our kids are financially successful on their own and do not need our money. My wife has a couple of 401k type plans, a 401k and a 403b. They total about $1.3 million. We think we should have more, we think we should have had more money by now, but our student loans and paying for our children's college really hit us hard. It totaled well over $500,000, and it took us many years to pay them off. Okay, I'm going to pause there, guys. Here's why. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on there. Okay, you heard that. Uh, but you, you see the hindrance to success, to financial peace of mind, when you have these massive student loans. It took them a long time to pay it off. Okay, the reason I told you I wasn't going to tell you their name is this. There's enough information that if you work for this hospital chain, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? You know, because the, the the evidence is in the email. We know who it is. All right, but I won't say it. All right, okay, here we go. So what do we do? It's an $890,000 lump sum check or $5,800 a month. Let me give you the pros and cons of both. 
if you say, I'm going to give up my $890,000 and in exchange, I'm going to receive $5,800 a month, that $5,800 a month is as long as she lives. And then usually her husband gets a portion of that, maybe 75% of it. And then if both of them pass away, that's it. It's gone. You can't ask for a pay raise. Almost always it never increases in pay, meaning today $5,800 is the same thing as 20 years from now is $5,800. Okay, so today it might buy a lot or buy pretty good, but not 10 years or 20 years from now. So the $890,000 in a lump sum monthly check is nice. Uh, uh, Sorry, $800,000 in a lump sum versus a monthly check. The 890000 we can ladder that. We can put that in different accounts. You can create an income stream well more than 5800 a month over the next decade, right? If you took $5,800 a month times 10 years, I can get a much greater income stream out of that than that number. And still, she can have access to the big chunk of money if they need it for an emergency. They have other monies, but I do want you to know that if you opt for the monthly pension payment. You're reliant on the employer staying in business, staying alive, staying well to receive that check. Now, this particular hospital chain I'm very familiar with, they do purchase something called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. What that is is an insurance company for your pension but it does not insure all $5,800 a month. Maybe it insures 2000 or 2500 maybe. Right? So if the hospital chain doesn't manage its money right, if there isn't enough money coming in, if a lot of people are pulling money out, the lump sum, give me my check, bye-bye, and there isn't enough to manage the pension monthly check, then it, it is in custody of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and the insurance policy is enacted, and whatever that agreement is, is now paid out. So why would I take the lump sum? I like it if you want to ladder the payments, right? Sometimes you may not need the money. You're like, no, thank you. I don't need it. Well, I don't want you to pay taxes on money you don't need, right? If you don't have to pull money out because you're not going to spend it, then don't pull it out just to pay taxes on it. And if you have a lump sum, we can control that a little bit. We can say, give us a little bit, give us more, give us this, give us less. And as long as you take out with, within a certain region, as long as you take out a certain amount or less, you'll never run out of money. Right? So, so we might start out a little bit lower for her, but we still will never run out of money. And here's the part of the, the idea, guys. I know we want to use this account for you. The 1.3 million, I would do the same thing. You'd ladder it. You guys have more than enough money to live comfortably for the rest of your life. What I would do is make sure that you just don't pay taxes on money you don't need. All right? That's part of the the challenge. We would work with your CPA, your tax preparer, work closely with them and kind of lay out the plan, et cetera. Make sure that we stay within that region. All right. Continuing, guys. He and his wife, they have one rental property. Okay. here's, Here's his email. Continuing. We have one rental property that used to be our primary residence, and now we are renting it out. We paid it off about three years ago. We're not sure if we should sell it when we move out of California. There's a large group of my family living in Texas, so we plan on relocating to the North Dallas area. 
the equity we have in our two homes is about $1.2 million. The new house we want to buy is about the same price. Should we pay cash for that house or should we get a loan? Our total income from Social Security is $3,500 for me and $4,200 for my wife. All right, guys. So here's the, here's the wrinkle in it. They do have a rental property, and it's their old primary residence. They paid it off about three years ago, so they have a lot of equity, but you still have expenses. I'm okay with that if you manage it properly, but here's where I have a problem with it. My problem with it is this. It's in the state of California. When you are in the state of California with rental property, especially L.A. County or L.A. City, especially, they hurt you. They punish you for having rental property. You're immediately the bad guy if you're a landlord. If the person doesn't pay, if they're a squatter, you have to pay for an attorney to get them out. Meanwhile, the city or the county pays for their attorney to get them out, to to defend them, right? And that attorney does this every single day. So that attorney is going to scrutinize your contract, make sure you followed the law. Why didn't they have working uh, smoke detectors? And what did they, well, they pulled them out of the wall. Doesn't matter. Your responsibility is to make sure that they have whatever, a fire extinguisher. And, and you're like, oh, my gosh, these people freaking punched a hole in my wall. It doesn't matter, sir. Right. The state of California favors by far the tenant. That is why there are not a lot of rental properties in California. I have one client that has three properties. She just refuses to rent any of them. She says, Eric, if I don't need the money, I'm just leaving them. I go, they're empty? She goes, yeah, they're empty. Because every time I have somebody in there, I get taken on the, on the rent. I go, well, you probably should have either a management company or somebody do some background checks. Oh, I've tried it all, she says. Okay. Now, in this particular case, he and his wife, she's a physician. She's going to retire. She has, a, you know, that huge pension. Well, what if we balance this out a little bit? You can take the pension if you want because you do have a big chunk of money in your 401k, but it has to last you for the next 30, 35 years and built in inflation and built in all the problems that come with moving out of state, right? You have to pay to move. You've heard my story. I've talked to you before. I think even last week I spoke about it. If you're going to move, you don't move old junk uh, furniture. I don't mean that in a, that your furniture is junky, but if it's older furniture, more than, I don't know, maybe six months old, then don't move it. Give it away or sell it because the cost to move it, especially going from California to Texas, it's expensive to move it. So you have to weigh your options. Is it worth it? Or should I just take what I was going to spend in a moving truck and just buy new furniture there? Now, if you have antiques or expensive furniture, of course, you're going to move it. But just kind of keep that in mind, okay? All right, here's what I'm, when I talk about never giving money to the kids directly. You only give money to the children that have earned it their, themselves because they will never respect your money as much as they respect their own. You've heard me mention this before. When they inherit $100,000, but they have to pay taxes on it, or they can drip it into their life at, let's say, $15,000 a year for the next eight or nine years. They say, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I go, what do you mean? They go, well, I know it's $100,000. If I cash it in, I'm going to have to pay forty grand in taxes. So what? I'll get $60,000. It's 60000 more than I had yesterday. I, I know, but don't you realize that your mom worked for this money? And I know it's $15,000 a year. It's not going to be life-changing, but that's why you should have a job. That's why you should be doing what you're doing. 
And this is extra money. It's just to maybe make life a little a little easier for you, financially speaking. Now, let's back up a little bit. You've heard me mention taxes a little bit. The state of Texas does not have an income tax. That's great news. But the state of Texas is still part of the United States for the time being and pays federal income tax. Social Security is taxed at in the formula at 50%. That means only half of it is subject to income tax. So when they make $7,700, only half of the $7,700 is taxable. So right around forty dollars or $50,000. Now that's, that's part of their formula. They're going to need more to live on. So do they pay off the house or do they not pay off the house? Well, it depends on how much they're going to have to pull out of their retirement accounts to live on to receive it and then pay the mortgage. If they're not going to have to pay out, take out more from their retirement accounts in order to pay the mortgage, they can end up in a real sweet deal. In other words, they can be in the very, very low tax bracket, almost nothing. So I do encourage you guys to have a meeting with me and your CPA or with your CPA and whoever you trust financially is a financial professional. Whereas we're, as I mentioned, a certified estate planner, you might want to work with, uh, you know, an attorney involved. You might have to pay. You don't pay us. Companies are going to pay us when we do business with them anyway. We are always paid because they're going to make more money than they give you. It's not a secret. Right. But you don't have to pay me an hourly fee or anything like that. So sometimes it's worth it for you to have. Oh, I don't know. The right word is having a team together. Right. That's important. All right. Never give money to your kids. I mentioned that possibility of free uh, options and money tax free. Think about this as an option. When you sell the house. We would probably do a hybrid plan, maybe 300000 in each one of your accounts. It gets us long-term care. It gets us tax-free money later on down the road, 10 or 12 or 15 years from now. So I do want to have the indexed universal life plan for part of that sale of the house. I would sell both houses, and I would buy, if you want to stay in the rental property market, buy a rental property close to where you live or in the next town. I would buy a rental property that is bringing you cash flow, maybe a place that you would move to someday, or maybe just a a cash flow king for the kids, right? I want you to leave the children real estate, leave the children life insurance. That's what that hybrid plan is, the indexed universal life. You're going to leave the kids those two plans, each of yours, and then you're going to leave them real estate. Now, why is that a big deal? Because that is all tax-free. I want you to live on that 890000 I want you to live on that $1.3 million. That's for you to live on. But by buying rental property in, in Texas, you are the person in charge, meaning the government is on your side. The county doesn't support the, the squatter. If they didn't pay the rent, now, if they paid the rent and you're being a jerk, all that stuff is is public knowledge. It's out there. You're not going to get away with it. The state of Texas doesn't allow that. All right. So you have to watch out and make sure that you're not going to get yourself into financial trouble. All right. Last thing, remember this, we can do a rollover. We can move that money because you are past the age of 59 and a half. So even if you're still working, we can pick up that old retirement account or even the current one and move it over and get it out of risk and get it out out of fees in the market. Hey, thanks for being a part of the show. 
I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information. Every week at this time, that's me. You can give me an email at Arif, A-R-I-F, at T-F-S, wealth.com. Arif Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information every week. 888 retire Don't forget that. Have a great week. Learn from Arif Hallaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial power.